Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Claudia Monticelli, the host of this podcast, Let's Talk Soul. Over the years, after having interviewed so many people on so many different topics, I realized that what interested my audience wasn't really the individual topics per se, but was how it impacted them, how it touched their soul. So I'll invite you all to lay back, put your feet up, and if you like what you hear, leave a review, five-star review. I'd appreciate that. So just enjoy your listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Claudia Monicelli, and today I have a guest who'll be speaking to us from Florida, Vic Ferrari. Vic, say hello to our audience. Hey, Claudia. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Now, he is in Florida. Okay. Why is he in Florida? He is a retired NYPD, New York Police Department detective turned author. And of course, there's a lot to talk about if we unpackage those four or five words that I just said. But I'd like to go back a little bit because he uh, lived for a good part of his life, if not most of his life, uh, Vic, in the in the Bronx. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. 40 something years. Okay. Now, can you go back a little bit? So this Ferrari is a nice Italian name, a nice Italian boy. And everyone who listens to me knows that I'm here in Italy. So where are your how what is it third generation fourth how how many generations my grandparents well I'm a hybrid um uh-huh. my grandparents were from one one my grandfather was from Lipari which is a little island off the coast of Sicily yeah Lipari yeah 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 Lipari, okay my grandmother was Yugoslavian uh-huh um, and my father's side of the family I write under a pen name my dad's side of the family is from Ireland Ah, so interesting. I, I was what was considered in the 60s uh, a product of a mixed marriage. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> oh. Well, so have you have you always aside from the the years that you lived in the Bronx, had you lived anywhere else besides Florida or had you, you know, from the Bronx you went right to Florida? Yeah, pretty much. After I retired from my 20 years with the New York City Police Department, it was time to move on. I we spoke to you off air about I, I flirted with the idea of buying a house on the Jersey Shore, right. but I wasn't given the state of New Jersey 6% of my pension. Yeah. So I moved to sunny Florida. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, but, but it does take, um, you know, there are, you, you, we talked about the service. This is, a, you don't become a high school teacher or a teacher. You don't teach or you don't work as a serviceman. You don't work to make money. You just don't do that. That requires a love for the service, a love for that type of work. Now, if you were a retired detective, let's, I want to start in the Bronx. Let's start in the Bronx. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. I'm I'm a product of, again, you know, pretty much Irish Italian background. I grew up in a neighborhood that was either Irish or Italian, lower middle class family. My dad was a butcher. My mom was a housewife. Um, by the age of, you know, I had a happy childhood. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what about uh, just just I'll, I'll stop you every now and then. What about um, because I know the Irish is highly religious. Well, the Italians say they are, but they don't. I mean, they're not. We just have the Vatican. But That's how, both how, ways. How they're about both like that? that? How about that in the family? Were you 
you know, sort of um, put, not pushed, but educated? Uh, uh, I went to public school for my first eight years. I made all my sacraments. And it's funny because that was the genesis for my book, Confessions uh-huh. of a Catholic High School Graduate. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. What year was that uh, published in? Uh, this year. Oh, this is the latest? Is that your latest book? Yeah, 2022. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. Yeah, um, we were sitting around the dinner table in eighth grade. My father said, oh, uh, next year you're going to Catholic high school. And I was like, <laughs> we, don't even go to, we don't even go to church. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? He goes, you're a clown. And if I send you to public school, you're going to become a bigger clown. So go pick a school that's run by the men and women in black. Yeah. And I said, all right. <laughs> and it was a whole thing. Like back then, I mean, the Catholic schools, they didn't just take anybody. You had to pass an admissions test. And yeah. then it was like, the NFL draft, you would get letters. It was like going to college. Yeah. You would get letters and then they would interview you. And if they liked you and they thought, you know, you were going to be a good student, you'd get an awful letter or, you know, they yeah. would say thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wound up going to an all boys Catholic high school for four years. And oh. I, I, I didn't want to do it. I mean, oh. Every, oh. but I, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, well, well, Listen, I was a wild tell. kid. Yeah. Not a bad kid, but a wild kid, always getting in, involved in something. And come on, I give us give us an example. Come on, you just can't throw oh, it out right. there. <laughs> There's a story in my book. We used to egg, we used to oh. egg the ice cream man. Oh it was two <laughs> Italian guys, and they we got into an argument with one of my friends. So we egged the ice cream truck and he took off. And then he came back about a week later and he pulls up with the ice cream truck and he's all smiles and like, he's got balls. Like is he kidding me? And the back of the ice cream truck opened up and like four of his nephews and grandkids come running out with baseball bats and they were <gasps> chasing us up and down oh the sidewalk. So, yeah, I was, I was, I was getting chased. There's a chapter in the book called running for your life. Cause I was always doing something and getting yeah. chased for it. Mm-hmm. So I definitely needed the discipline and structure of Catholic high school. I didn't want it, but it was the best thing that happened. But, to but me. now that was an all boys school. So what did you do? Uh, did that, um, what, what did you do? Uh, did you run away with your friends to go look for the girls or other, you know, people, partners in crime? What would well, you do? Well, th- there were there were so many Catholic schools. They used to have socials where they would get the girls. Uh, we had a, girl, a sister girl school that we would like have dances and stuff. And Preston High School is an all girls school, which actually that's where JLo went to high school. Yeah. Uh-uh. And I, my friend and I would rush out of school every day because he lived across the street from this all girls Catholic high school. Like freshman, sophomore year before I was driving, we would rush home. Our dismissal time was an hour earlier. So we would rush home, change, and then start playing wiffle ball in front of his house <laughs> to check out the girl. Wiffle ball. <laughs> so, I mean, it's almost, I don't want to say it's a cliche, but um, from from what I hear, from my experience, from friends and everything, usually it, it, it starts that way for people who then go into a, and become police officers. This is, usually they... On, they're on the different side of the tracks and and they were playing mean games, you know, and then they just thought, yeah. okay, let me get a gun and I'll, it'll be legal for me, put it in my pocket. And you know. <laughs> it, My high school for, was a civil service factory. I mean, I my graduating class of 250 guys, I think 40, just my year became NYPD cops. Wow. And that's not counting firemen, yeah, sanitation sure. workers and other civil service. 
So it, it was definitely like a, a training ground for, I, th I think my high school probably produced more cops than Penn state produces linebackers. It just, uh -huh. <laughs> it's just the way it went. And you're right. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I was on the other side of the tracks, but I was definitely standing on the tracks right. and I had to get off sooner or later, a train was going to come by and hit me. Right. Yeah. Um. So, so when, uh, can I ask you if you don't mind saying so, about what age did you decide then to become or or to apply for uh, the police department? Five years old. <laughs> I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to do by five years old. Growing up, watching all the police shows and cop shows and movies around the corner from the movie theater. When my mom used to take me to the movie theater as a little boy, it was a police station. Mm -hmm. I would look in those police cars and run up to the cops and ask them questions. By age of 10, my friends and I used to go into the post office and steal FBI wanted posters and go <laughs> on manhunts around the neighborhood. So I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. And tw by 20 years old, I took the exam. And by 21, I was in the police academy. Uh, let's let's just go back a second. Now, uh, can I say, can I, I mean, I even ask, feel stupid asking this question, but would you think or it, it, I know you have a lot of stories, but would you say that that work for you was sort of your purpose, your soul's purpose? That was you know, not superficially. I'm talking under the surface. It's not just. OK, so you really felt that that was what your purpose the, was like a fish. To, yeah, to, like a fish to water. Yeah. OK, it was it was like I, I was just on another podcast and I said I, I love sports as a kid. Yeah. But like how boys collected trading cards. That's how much I was into. I wanted to become a New York City police officer. Yeah. 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 So so let's um let's say that you were you then became the right person in the right place. OK, so now you're on the beat. You're doing your thing. And um. Then at some point you become a a detective. How how many years after did that take happen? In, in the NYPD, you have to work 14, 18 months in an investigative unit. So I had already worked in the narcotics division, but I in my neighborhood, grow, uh, I always say growing up in my neighborhood, stealing a car was a rite of passage. Yeah. I wasn't a car thief, but I worked in a gas station and there was always guys blowing in there with stolen cars, trying to sell yeah. parts, the car. So I knew what to look for. I was always in a car chase when I was in uniform and patrol. Yeah. You got to remember in the 90s, New York City was averaging 150,000 stolen vehicles a year. So it was yeah. like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Um, I put in for the auto crime division mm -hmm. and, and I got in and I had a wonderful career, you know, busting up chop shops, organized crime, mm -hmm. stolen vehicles, you name it, anything with the stolen vehicle industry, I was involved in it. Mm, let me let me ask you this um, again, a question probably that you don't get asked often. Did you ever come across really unbelievable things that happen? Not not uh, everything is un is unbelievable, really. But I mean, where you were on location and the uh, uh, tales, the description from those present said something like, oh, well, there were ghosts in that house. Or, or something like that, something beyond life, you know, something that would tax your, you know, beliefs. Did any? No, but no, but I, I've I've walked into places, I've seen people die right in front of me, terrible deaths. I've walked into homicides seconds after they occurred. 
Um, what is that I like? Know. What is that like? What that? What do you? Well, feel nothing can prepare. Through? They try preparing you for it in the police academy, where they take everybody down to the morgue. Yeah, and it's not like an episode of Quincy where there's one guy yeah. with a white lab coat. It's like going to a Jiffy Lube. Like there's five, six, seven people being worked on at once. Because mm-hmm. New York, you have so many people just dropping dead of natural and unnatural deaths. Um, it's weird. Like for me, I always looked at it like I had been to a wake or two before I yeah. was a cop. It's not like as you get older, now you're going to wakes all the time, right, but right. When you're young, you know, yeah. um, it's weird. It's, um, it's, it, it definitely, you, you definitely check your mortality at the door. It's like, wow. I always thought this can happen to me. It was, oh, anytime I saw something like that, it, it dawned on me because I never really gave death or dying because that wasn't going to happen to me that happens to other people yeah you know Not i wouldn't 20. have been able to, <laughs> right well most cops wouldn't be able to do their jobs if they thought about of that course too. of course but w- did you get the sensation then that that uh i mean what did it seem like for you i have personally i have seen so many dead people but i have never been to the scene of a crime so I just haven't seen, you know, heads on one side of the road or arms, yeah, you know, that kind. And did you get the impression that there there was just a body there, but there was nothing else? I mean, did you or did you get that sense that there was still, you know, somebody alive there or somebody's spirit? I, because it's a strange, uh, it's a strange scene. It's a strange uh... No, but I always, I would look at somebody like your initial reaction is shock and oh shit. And then yeah. it's, and then, you know, you start looking at the person, especially if they've died in a residence or something and you start looking around and yes, they're, they're gone. They know, and I'm talking about natural death and unnatural death. And you look around and then you start looking at photographs on the television set and you see them there with their husband or their wife or their children. And it's like, wow, this person you know, they're not here anymore, but at one time they were just like me. They had a family and he was into knitting or he had a a collection of this. And, you know, it it kind of, um, they're dead and you're doing your job and then you look around and then it humanizes them again because, you you, you know, you're going through their possessions or looking at these things. I didn't like doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, in the NYPD, when someone dies, again, natural or unnatural, the responding cops, it, you have to put on gloves and go yeah. through their pockets and make sure you don't get clues or yeah. voucher jewelry to safeguard for the family. Mm-hmm. And I always hated doing that because I just I just felt like I was um, intruding. In- intruding, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's bad enough this person's dead. Now I've, you know- I've got to take a ring off their finger and voucher it, or I'm going through phone numbers of a guy that got, you know, got murdered. You, you know what I mean? So yeah. I always felt weird doing it. Mm. Um, is there, uh, have you ever become close to one of the people on the scenes? Have you stayed in touch? I mean, as a detective later, uh, did you, you, obviously you had to contact similar people often for your work. But did you ever become close? Now, I don't want to, you know, go into your private you know, life. Victim. A victim's yeah, family. A victim, yeah, or a, 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 I don't know what they call them, a, a, um, an, a, not associate, but people who help your work. 
not a victim, but someone who can give you information for your investigation in any of those cases that are linked to certain cases? Have you ever become close to them to the point of actually suffering for, you know, taking it so, so personally that you had to find out something, you know, and, and where you really felt bad, very involved. Yeah, I, I had a couple like that. One time there was a woman, it was the weirdest, it was odd because I just kept being involved in it. Um, I was a uniformed cop in a precinct and um, I happened to answer the phone. And um, it was this, it was this older woman that lived in Virginia and mm -hmm. uh, her daughter was supposed to come down. It was a long weekend. I think it was Labor Day Memorial Day weekend. And the daughter never made it down there. And she goes, uh -huh. listen, I know my daughter. Um, I've called multiple times. Yeah. Something not right. I says, "Well, give me the address." Uh huh. I took down the one. I told her I'll call it back. So I go back. I go back. I go to the, uh, you know, I go to this. Uh, it was a nice condo up in Riverdale, and um, looking around, um, the car's still there. Mm -hmm. So I call the woman up. I says, "Listen, I says, I, I you're kind of in, you've kind of fallen into like a bureaucratic red tape thing. You have to. I can't take a missing persons report over the phone. Right. I said someone has to be here to do it." Uh -huh. She goes, well, I'm going to send my sons up. I said, well, just have them come to the precinct. Yeah. I said, ask them to speak to the detectives. I said, I'm just a patrolman. I said, yeah. but, you know, it's all right. Day or two later, there's these two guys that drove up from Virginia. And I just happened to be there. Uh -huh. And they asked for me. And I said, come on. So we went up to the apartment. And uh, I think they had keys. Or we got the super to open the apartment. I forget. Apartment looked fine. The answer machine was blinking, you know, multiple calls from yeah. the mother. Yeah. She volunteered at a homeless shelter or a drug rehab. I forget her job. Like now, I mean, it's obvious something's not right. Right. So the, the, take a, a missing persons report. The detectives are now involved. I'm back on patrol. And uh, about a week or two weeks later in New York. And you, I don't know if you remember this in New York, you had a lot of vacant lots at one time. Yeah, before sure. the, the Real sure. estate drove everything up mm -hmm. and people would dump stuff refrigerators, oh, yeah. tires. Yeah. So the sanitation department, believe it or not, for your listeners, is actually a, a, a small group of sanitation police. <laughs> and what they do is, yeah, it's funny. I mean, they don't drive around garbage trucks with guns. It's, it's a couple of guys. And what they'll do is they'll set up surveillance on these lots. And uh -huh. if they catch somebody dumping, they'll arrest them. Uh -huh. And here comes this guy dumping a 55 gallon drum in this vacant lot up by co-op city. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, they grab him and they go, what's in the drum. And he says, my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately it was the woman that this whole thing started with the missing person. Oh. Again, this is 30 something years ago. So I, I don't remember it exactly, but from what I remember, it was either a coworker or a guy she helped get off of drugs at a rehab center, something like that. They got into an argument. Oh my he hit God. her throat. He didn't know what to do. She suffocated. Um, instead of calling the police or paramedics, he put her in his garage and then put her in this drum and then was looking for an outlet to to dump the body. I, I felt terrible about it because I had dealt with the mother right. and her sons over it. So, I mean, you know, I, I felt terrible for it. But um, there was a few times with a couple of different crimes where, you know, like, I promised the family I would do my best. Yeah. You know what I mean? To get sure. either recover something. I right. had another one. I mean, this is ridiculous, but I recovered a stolen car uh -huh. and I fingerprinted it. It was a truck and there was a dog cage in it. And I called up the owner. He was this lawyer, a Wall Street lawyer. And he said, oh, did you get my dog? 
I said, no, there was no dog in the car. And uh -huh. he took him and his wife, had, they were up in the country. They come back to Manhattan. They're unloading their truck. They had, he had like a Toyota Land Cruiser. Left it double parked and running with the dog in it. Some junkie jumps into the car and takes off with his Land Cruiser with the dog in it. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So I told him, I says, listen, I said, the odds of getting your dog back are slim to none. But let me see what I could do. So by that time, I had like 15 years in. Uh -huh. I had a lot of contacts. I dusted the car for Prince. My childhood friend that I played wiffle ball with yeah. in front of that high school was the sergeant in the fingerprint section. Uh -huh. Fingerprints are submitted homicide, yeah. robbery, burglary. There's a pecking order. So I called him up. I said, do me a favor. Can you get me to the top of the stack? He goes, yeah. yeah. Good. He submits the prints, comes back to this street urchin guy, like this homeless guy. I fill out a wanted card. A warrant, warrant card isn't a detainer, but if someone gets arrested, their fingerprints will hit and they'll notify the detective that filled out this card and said, hey, your guy just got locked up in the Bronx or your guy just got locked up in Brooklyn. So you got only got like 24 hours to get right. down to court and pull this guy out of the system. Right. And it was funny because his case had gotten dismissed and he was walking out of the courthouse and me and my partner grabbed him. <laughs> not so fast. Brought him back to the precinct. And I told him, I says, listen, I got your fingerprints in this truck. You're going back to jail. You're going to do about a year and a half to three. And he's like, oh, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. I says, listen, I says, tell me where the dog is and maybe I'll work with the district attorney and maybe I'll get you 90 days or a year at Rikers Island. At least you'll be close to home. So he told us and we took the guy in the car. He, he says, it's on this block. And I think it's this building. Hmm. We sat in the car with this guy handcuffed and here comes some woman comes bouncing out of the building, walking the dog. Oh. My ID and she didn't want to give up the dog, but I said, listen, it's not your dog. I apologize. And, you know, I got the dog back for the guy. So the guy was, I mean, there's more to that story. It's in one of my books, but it, yeah. it was actually a pretty funny story where I had a relationship with the person. Aha. Uh -huh. Ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, what was, I hate to ask for it, but I really want to know the worst, the worst, the worst situation that you walked into on the job. Oh, a couple. I walked into a couple of homicides and I was down on the ground by 1.30 in the afternoon after the Twin Towers fell. Um, nothing I nothing I had done in law enforcement could have prepared me for it. I had like 13 or 14 years in and I'd seen terrible things. But I mean, that was just wild because I felt like a child looking up at that pile, yeah. you know, a couple hours after it had fallen. And like, how the hell did this even happen? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was, that was bad. Um, and again, a couple of homicide scenes that I walked into. Yeah. As you're talking, I remembered, um, I can remember where I was. It was, there's a six hour difference between New York and Italy, just the entire country. That day I was in, um, at the university in Bologna and I got a call from my first boyfriend. Okay. My, the first ever, right. He calls me up. Hey, Claudia. Hey, Paul, how are you? And he says, look, something strange is happening. And it was about 8 a.m. or 7.30 a.m., I think, but it was really early in the morning. He got, he was a, a, an iron worker, so, you know, working on, on these big things. Right. And he says, I, I just a plane just went into the tower. But wait a minute, there's another one. And then he says, I don't know what's going on. And so we talked about five minutes, just five, because we, I was incredulous. I thought he was joking. And uh, so then we hung up. And so that that is one of the most difficult how long were you awake i mean how long were were you on in service that day or or when that happened 
I w- I can't. I, I started my day at seven a.m. Yeah, I was down there by one thirty in the afternoon. I didn't go home till about six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and was back the following evening at five thirty yeah. p.m. We did yeah. that for about a week. Yeah, and then they pulled us out, and then we went back to doing detective work. And they were they were rotating us in and out of yeah. that for a while. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's crazy, crazy. Um, now that's that was one. That was a really bad one. Okay. What about one of the, a good story, like a happy ending, apart from the dog that's found again, but <laughs> oh, <all right. laughs> I think when that's you said, a when You said a good story with a happy ending. All right. I'll tell you. All right. This is a funny <laughs> one. So it's later in my career. My partner and I are, um, I was a detective. We're driving around a rough part of the Bronx. Yeah. And there's this blonde hair, blue eyed, 17 year old girl, look like a supermodel. Yeah. And she's just walking around aimlessly in a rough part of the Bronx. Oh. And I'm like, was she lost? Like, it, you know, it was a school <laughs> night cool. too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was a school night too, right? She's about seven, 16, 17, very pretty. So we pull up and uh, she's immediately like getting real quiet. She doesn't want to say much. So I says, listen, I says, you better start having some answers. You're going to have to come with us, right? So she tells us that she ran away from home. Uh. I said, all right, get in the car. So she gets in the car and she's telling us where she lived. And she uh, it goes back to the Riverdale section of the Bronx where I used to be a patrolman, right? right? So as she's telling me this and I'm picking up of a hint of a Russian accent, I go, uh. are your parents diplomats? And she goes, well, they work at the, they, they're not diplomats, but they work at the embassy. So a lot, what a lot of people don't know is in the Bronx, yeah, you have like KGB Central. Yeah. There's this, this, you have the Russian mission. It's this large, like 15 story building. It's mm-hmm. like a fortress. Yeah. And that's, you know, where Russian dignitaries live and go yeah. to the UN. Yeah. And then in the surrounding areas, you have yeah. apartments with the workers they bring in from the Soviet, was Russia now. Yeah. Live there. So she says, yeah, my parents, you know, Lou Riverdale. So I said, all right, we're going to take you home. And she, she, she told us she had run away about two weeks ago. Right. Oh, so long time. We get her out of the car. She looks like she's going to run. I go, I says, I says, I run a couple of miles a day. Don't run. Don't make me chase you. So she's like, all right, fine. So we go up the stairs, we bang on the door and this like 13 year old boy opens the door and he's like, Svetlana. Right. (laughs) And she starts talking to him in Russian. And I go, ah, ah, ah. Because you got I, I didn't want her talking to the brother because she said her parents didn't speak English. So I didn't want her to tell the brother, tell the parents X, Y, yeah, right. and Z, mm-hmm. right? So I separated them. So we go into this house and the parents come out and they're in their pajamas. They don't speak a word of English, right? <laughs> and this guy is built like a Russian bear, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm getting through the brother who's translating that she she's done this before she's run away and i go well did you report her missing and they said no because we didn't want to get in trouble with our government because they were afraid they liked it here so they were afraid they were afraid if they reported it yeah they would be deemed they can't keep a handle on their kids yeah they were what the i think he was a cook and she was a um uh, like a housekeeper right right so they would have gotten sent back yeah yeah so you know, it, it was good because that it, it was fun. like the father gave me a hug. He almost friggin' threw out my back 
And then he's trying to give us vodka. And I'm like, dude, we can't accept that. And my partner's going to retire in six months. He goes, hold on. Boris is breaking out with the stoli. I'm like, let's get the, let's get out of here. We're not taking anything from him. I go, it's bad enough. We're already involved in probably an international incident, but that was good to get the kid home. Yeah, right. That's nice. That's nice. All right. Let's get to your books. Tell me the name of your books. Of course, in the description of the episode here, I'll uh, put a link to your author page. So, right, so my latest book is Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. That's me being a little punk growing yeah. up in the Bronx and getting into trouble and coming of age book. Yeah. NYPD Law and Disorder. That's yeah. about the ridiculous things that happen inside the New York City Police Department. And okay, no so this is they're both nonfiction, right? The stories, these events happen, but I changed the, the names, narrative the nonfiction. Location. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's auto crime division. That's anything nice. you want to know about the stolen Okay, so car that too is narrative nine fiction. That's good. So great. Uh, NYPD's flying circus, cops, crime, and chaos. <laughs> Again, about <laughs> ridiculous that. things cops do. Is that a the, story in there. You're going back in time, right? I'm With going the back books. in time. In that book, there's a story of a friend of mine. Well, he wasn't a friend, but I knew a guy. He stole the horse and carriage over by Central Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you got... <laughs> NYPD through the looking glass stories from inside America's largest police department. That's more behind the scenes yeah, stories. All sure. my books, there's no beginning, middle, end. It's they're just chapters with short stories. Right, like, right, sure. And nice. you know, like yeah, thank you. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, really. It's nice the way because you know, I was just thinking the other day, I'm an author myself, and sometimes you can't get that right voice, you know, but you never fail if you look at it as a story. Whatever you're writing, it's always a story. I mean, that people want to hear stories, they want to read stories, even if I'm not talented you know, enough to write in chronological order. Yeah. Well, That's what do you mean? Write... What do you mean you're in chronological? If I had to write the only book that I wrote in chronological order is Confessions of a Catholic High School. Okay, uh, okay. But if like if I had to write a book about my New Year NYPD career that started in the right, I get it, I get it, I get it. it. Yeah, but look, what you did is really interesting because you gave them theme. Every book has a theme, so you did the auto, and and that was smart. You know, I think you know, I I think that was smart. I think so. I I just don't think I I don't think I have the patience. I think I would pull all my hair out if I had to write (laughs) logical order. I find it tedious. Yeah, yeah. So now here we are. You're on a crime scene. You are one of the people on the ground. Okay, so we're playing here. You're imagining. You're on the ground. Because I, as uh, people may may know, but I usually give uh, guests a questionnaire. So I get a feel for them and and I ask them, you know, what is one of the things that gives you most pleasure? And so Vic wrote, any day above ground is a good day. (laughs) 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 Now, you're on the ground now, okay? Uh, So the ground is not under yet. (laughs) So you're there and you're out cold. If you could... Imagine you're you're coming out of that body. What do you think that you what would you like it to be as you leave the body? What would you imagine it could be like? I would start looking for my parents. Okay, yeah. That would be the first and my grandparents. I mean, people that I love that Mm -hmm. have passed. Yeah. Because if if I'm like what you're what you're describing, like something out of a movie where you're starting to, to levitate right, and right, right. Well, that's yeah. You... The first thing that would come to mind is well, this isn't the first time this has happened. I'm not that special. Right. So this is part of a process. I'm going sure. somewhere. Sure. And hopefully I'm gonna 
be back. The people <laughs> You'll be back. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not, well, I'm pretty happy. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I've had a really good life, but yeah, I mean, the first thing I would think of is, okay, where are my parents? Yeah, right. Where are right. my grandparents? Now, usually, uh, this is talked about a lot by people who do psychic work, like myself, and the idea is, in a flash, you know, when the when the soul leaves the body, there there is sort of ancestors. Uh, extended family and ancestors. That's a common belief, you know. Um, Vic, I don't know how to thank you for having, you know, come to talk to us with with all these lively stories, you know, because they're, and, and I stress the word lively because they are alive. If you're not alive, you don't get these stories. <laughs> and so, and um, and for your service. And I really appreciate you putting an effort. I mean, it is, writing is hard work. And you don't do that unless you like what you're doing. So keep it up. Keep it up. It's I'm going to look. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. I'm going to go look at your books right now. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I, they're, they're available in Italy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I have an Amazon.com account. I can get that. Oh, yeah. Kindle, Kindle book. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually get the Kindle I because or else my house, I wouldn't be able to walk right. it, it in it anymore. Like mine. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And I hope to have you back again. And maybe oh, we could to. talk to another, uh, talk to, talk about another book in the future or or some other stories but um you have a great day and um, i'm very envious of that sun in florida especially now it's winter time as we speak as we're recording and so we have rain we've got the rain it's not uh, that <laughs> yeah but it's okay sunny italy with a little rain is it ain't that bad <laughs> goodbye vic i really appreciate buddy, it thank you so much you i really have, appreciate it good have a good ha, good evening bye bye yeah.